This week on Rotten or Righteous, we ask the question. A lot of movies don't attempt to try to explain the motivation behind Judas's betrayal. They did. And I, did you buy it? I, I do. I do. No. Not. I don't. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's 11 o'clock. I don't know what I'd buy. I don't time it is it's time for all you pretty lads and lasses to put the kitties to bed kick off those workday shoes and slip into something more comfortable go ahead and grab a cool glass or whatever non-alcoholic fruit-based beverage you have available and take a long sip after all you deserve it this is rotten or righteous after dark baby not really. We're just recording it at uh, 9 o'clock at night. 10 o'clock where Scott's at. Noon where Luke is. Uh, but this is the latest we've ever recorded uh, our podcast. But, uh, <laughs> so I thought, I thought that it would be fun to introduce it as Rotten or Righteous After Dark. Oh, wow. I'd start this off as a creeper. With me today, as always, he brought shame on his family. What did he think he was doing? Well, he needed to pray and be Luke Taylor. How does it feel to carry all that anger around in your heart? Scott Judge. (laughs) Does it go away? No, it doesn't. And me, I can't marry Ephraim. I'm not fit for that life. Zach Geiler. Happy New Year! That's good. Woo! It's New Year's, guys. Our old acquaintance be forgot. Yeah, that song. Blah, 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 blah. And uh, welcome back to Rotten or Righteous 2.0. It's the same show as last year. We just added marshmallows. That was a funny joke. I don't have any marshmallows. <laughs> I have eggnog, though. But with a new... What exactly is in eggnog? I don't know, but have you ever read the nutritional it's, facts on eggnog? It's Holy like 40,000 calories in a cup. So there's 400. This mug that I have right here, just like a regular coffee mug, 400 calories. Wow. The whole quart is like 2,000. It's like your full daily intake. It's t- your quitter 2,000 is your daily average intake. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, shoot. <laughs> ah, that's funny. Trust fat guys, that's funny, Luke. <laughs> 2,000 calories a day. I ate that before I had breakfast. <laughs> With a new year comes a new call to action. Did you know that you can listen to us on SoundCloud, Spotify, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, and Apple Podcasts? So subscribe. Why, well, yes. Yeah, you can. So subscribe and rate our show on iTunes. Hoodie, please. Hey, why not go over to Facebook and like our page at facebook.com slash rotten or righteous. 
go ahead and tell someone about us. We really feel uncomfortable being your dirty little secret. I don't feel uncomfortable at all. I do now. If you have something to say about us, say it to our face at rottenorrighteous at gmail.com or on Facebook Messenger. This show sucks. I promise that I'll check the email more this year. Also, sit through the closing music. You won't want to miss the special surprise we have planned for you. It's bloopers from this week's show. This week, we watched the 2018 biographical drama Mary Magdalene. The film stars Rooney Mara in the titular role, and Joaquin Phoenix playing the role of Jesus from Nazareth. And fun Hollywood fact, they met on this set, they're now engaged, and they just welcomed their first child back in November 3rd. Joaquin will always be Johnny Cash to me. I don't, I, Joaquin will be a lot of people to me, but just not Jesus. <laughs> see, I, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see how uh, we feel as we go through this. Uh, the movie begins with something I haven't seen in a biblical movie before. It sets the stage with the words 33CE, using, of course, the secular designation Common Era instead of the traditional Gregorian designation AD, which stands for Anno Domini, or Year of Our Lord. How did you guys feel about this? Because it did stick out to me right away. Yep, that was like the trigger of, okay, this movie's immediately on the questionable list. Yeah, that's kind of the way I, I, I saw it too. It was just, it's just you know, if you're making a movie about Jesus, and I don't know why I care this much, because the Gregorian calendar's off by like three years. I mean, Jesus True. was born in like, what, negative two or negative two would be two BC, not BC. Yeah. And so, uh, but yeah, it just, uh, I didn't like it. It sets a running theme through the whole movie for me. <laughs> <laughs> but the uh, movie begins with a, another bit of text that really could be an opening crawl for star Wars. And the Roman Empire has appointed a puppet ruler, Herod Antipas, to govern the Jewish people. Peace is fragile, sedition is growing, as prophesied in the scriptures, the people long for the Messiah, who will bring an end to the Roman rule and usher the kingdom of God on earth. Da, 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 da. They just swipe that from Clone Wars. <laughs> Like seriously, <laughs> it didn't it didn't start out with a ship though, so can't be Star Wars. No, it, it started out with just some like long twenty minute scene of some girl floating around in the ocean. <laughs> that that yeah, <laughs> it's art. I don't but, know uh, that I still understand exactly the point of that. Yeah, neither do I. But don't you worry about it. <laughs> Mary is the daughter of a sheep herder who spends most of the first quarter of this movie staring off into space. She stares off into space as she holds down her pregnant sister-in-law as the mother is about to get cut in order to get her baby out. That was messed up. She stares well, off... Well, that scene was messed up. Why was it messed up? It was probably did, something that happened. I'm telling you, of all the things I didn't expect to see when that movie started... That may have been number one on the list. I thought, wow, we're going to have to cut her. What? What do you mean you're going to have to cut her? You knew exactly what they meant by they're going to have to cut her, Scott. Yeah, I knew what they meant, but I thought, you're going to have to cut her? It's a good thing they had old Spacey McGee over there to stare off into space to comfort her. (laughs) 
She was she laying there going for a while. Cut me, Mary. Cut me. I can go the distance. Just cut me, Mary. <laughs> uh, she stares off into space as she lies next to her sister-in-law while her family looks at the baby. She stares off into space as the rabbi offers Sabbath mass at the tabernacle. She stares off into space when she learns from her father that she's going to marry some random dude named Ephraim. She stares off into space as she helps her sister-in-law fish. Did you say Sabbath mass? <laughs> yeah, I did. <laughs> hey, do you know what the funniest part of that was, though? People showing up late. They're coming in late. They're talking. As they're I'm like, this is real life here. But, you know, I, I, that's one thing I've noticed. It was happened last week, too. Or no, when we watched the Ten Commandments. Jews apparently just do not stop talking in worship. Like, yeah. from the start of it to the end of it. And they, they're never on the same page. The the, the rabbi's up there. Yahweh. <laughs> Then you got some guy in the back going, <laughs> and then you got other people just sitting there going like, <laughs> okay, let me try that again. She stares off into space when the rabbi offers Sabbath services at the tabernacle. She learns from her father that she'll marry some random dude named Ephraim and uh, stares off into space when she hears that. She brings in the nets. With her fist, her sisters for some reason, but don't worry, she's uh, staring off into space, and she's got a thousand yard stare while she uh, is having dinner with Ephraim. Is there like a Golden Globe for staring? I don't. She'd win it. I don't know, but she. Yeah, I mean, she she certainly was trying to portray a deep in thought character. No, I think she was portraying disenfranchised woman. Which she was, but there's just a lot of staring, not a lot of dialogue, not a lot going on in that first 30 minutes. Yeah, it was a slow start. No, this I, movie I, doesn't I, have a whole lot of dialogue to begin with. It kind of feels yeah. like you're just staring off in space. Hey, but, but after a half an hour of staring, Mary finally shows some semblance of emotion when she runs away from the dinner with her betrothed to her local synagogue to pray and cry for a bit. Hey, and in this scene, Ephraim, uh, you know, he he was like a little boy wanting to jump up and down on a chair. This boy's so excited. This young man is so excited thinking he's going to marry Mary. Going to marry Mary. But um, when she gets home from, from her cry at the synagogue, her brother is very disappointed that she doesn't want to marry Ephraim. And then when Mary says she's not made for that life, the life of a wife and a mother, her brother says a very brotherly thing. He says, Jerry. you want me to bind your breasts and shave your head? I'm not a my, scientist. My, my favorite thing about that line is he's like, do you want me to bind your breasts and shave your head? And then he whispers real, real low. So you can be a man. <laughs> and then they hug. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's. And you think, OK, well, that was uncomfortable. And you think, well, at least that's over. No, no, nah. it's not. Because early the next morning, her brother walks in and wakes Mary up. You see, Mary's brother thinks that she has a demon, so they do what anyone would do. 
They touch her forehead with a golden circle thing and just start dunking her underwater. You know, normal demon getting rid of stuff. That scene, that scene was crazy. I mean, that, that whole family was there. I'm thinking, and of course I know they didn't, but I'm, you know, I know it. they, they couldn't, but I'm thinking, they're going to kill her. They're going to drown her. She's done. You know, it's kind of hard to drown somebody. People are pretty resilient. <laughs> Do you know that from experience? Yeah, just, how do you know I just, this, Luke? I just wanted to throw that out there. Well, I'll, I'll say this about the scene. Uh, she definitely didn't get the demon dunked out of her, but she did get all the emotion dunked out of her because she goes right back into staring off into space. Yeah. <laughs> Wouldn't you, though? She stares I mean, off into space as her father beats his chest. She stares off into space as her sister-in-law is trying to give her a hug. She even stares into space when Jesus comes in for the first time and, and says, Hey, you don't have a demon. <laughs> <laughs> hey, is do he... you think that line would have sounded better there, Zach, though, if you would have said, and she, spare, she stared off into space as her father pounded his bound breast? <laughs> There we go, folks. 18 minutes and 59 seconds into the recording. Scott gets his one comment into the show. His one stupid comment. Woo, Scott! There was nothing stupid about that comment. That's a legit question. All right. And and so, uh, at the very least, Jesus' visit snaps Mary out of this emotional stare she's in. Because in the next scene, she's back mending the fishing nets, and she sees that Jesus is preaching nearby. That's the first time we ever really get to see Joaquin's Jesus. And it's not great. (laughs) (laughs) He's trying a weird accent that thankfully goes away after this scene. His cadence is really weird, like the way he's delivering his lines. And plus... This is the most haggard-looking 33-year-old I have ever seen in my life. (laughs) I mean, I know I don't look great, but he's supposed to be three years older. than. If I look that bad just three years from now... What do you mean three years from now? Have you looked in the mirror lately? No, I mean, I don't got I don't got forehead ridges that are deeper than the Grand Canyon. Hey, there was there was only one scene that I truly loved out of him, and that was when he was going into the temple like Ronda Rousey heading into the octagon. But uh <laughs> we'll no, get to that. As though. this movie progresses, I appreciate Joaquin's portrayal more. But based on this one, yeah, I would put him dead last. But as it was at the ask me at the end of the movie, I would say it was probably the guy from Chosen, Joaquin, and then Jim Caviezel. Truthfully, oh, that's that's terrible. You are but, a uh, sinner. But okay. um, actually, we'll, I I didn't hate his portrayal. You know, I think if he had stuck closer to like the biblical narrative, like I could have got it. I could have, you know, got into his his Jesus. I mean, there's so much weird stuff that he does. I, it's I think not. The, the problem is, is that, and yeah, I agree, does some weird eccentric things, but the movie does a bad job in the <clears> beginning <throat> of telling us where we're at in Christ's life. We are weeks away from the crucifixion. We're at a man, we're, we're watching a man on the precipice of death and knowing he is dying and scared of dying. 
all biblical uh, ideals, right? Jesus knew there was some stress about it as it was approaching. Then his haggard look makes sense. He wouldn't be sleeping very well as it got nearer. Some of the things that he does, some of the way that he carries himself, not being as open-armed as we normally picture Jesus, because he's dealing with the stress of coming death. Uh, Jesus is on the... Scott's busting out his Bible. I don't know, know why. <laughs> I, I truly well, don't know I why just, I said it, that thing that Scott's like, I need to get book, chapter, and verse right here. No, I was just, I was just trying to think when... Uh, when Mary started following Jesus at, at what point in time? And I know you and I kind of talked um, with the idea this is just weeks before, but uh, when did when did Mary in the narrative, when did she start following Jesus? I mean, it I was pretty early in the she, ministry, wasn't it? I, 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 all we're told is she was one of the women that used to minister for Jesus. Yeah, I don't know that we are given any kind of hints the as to when. Time. But, uh... So, I always bust out the Bible when you speak, by the way. It's all right. Yeah, uh, yeah, fact I, check I, there. I, I bust out the Bible more watching this movie than I ever had for any other film we've watched. Um, but uh, Jesus is off speaking, and his message is resonating with a bunch of people, and Jesus starts healing people, starting with, to me, a problematic blind lady only because this movie made me feel bad about myself because I had a hysterical giggle fit watching this. <laughs> and now I'm laughing at you. Why did you have a hysterical laughing fit? Because their blind woman was just a poor extra that could cross her eyes. Yes. That's all. I mean, she didn't have like like cataract contacts in or anything like that. She literally was being looking like a little kid that learned how to yeah. look at her nose. And then Jesus rubs his fingers on her eyes. And then you just slowly see her eyes go from being crossed to being straight ahead. And then yeah, it's she like, could, oh, she she's could like roll. <laughs> she could roll her left eye and not the other one. It too. was like, it was like, put yeah. a contact, do something a little bit more than that, because it was just funny to me, because it reminded me of, like, I don't know, uh, some denominational church's play that they're doing on the miracles of Jesus, and this is like, hey, can you cross your eyes? Great. When Jesus rubs his hands in front of your eyes, uh, uncross them, okay? You can see! It was, it's just... See, I remember laughing at that scene, too, though, but I'll tell, I'd forgot, I've forgotten exactly what happened. But when her eye was doing that, I actually thought about you, Zach. Because <laughs> you'd be laughing. Yeah, so Jesus heals his blind lady. And then everybody in this whole crowd just starts to swarm Jesus. And I love what happens here. Because we don't see it that often as the cost of Jesus' miracles portrayed on film. That it took something out of him to do these miracles. And we know this because when the woman who had the uh, perpetual bleeding came and touched the hem of his garment, Jesus felt power rush out of him and turned around and said, who touched me? It took something out of Jesus to do these miracles. Uh, I don't know. I mean, yeah, he says that I felt power go out of me, not as in the sense of like, oh, I'm, I'm going empty here and now I'm going to have to go no, back to my I'm house not... and recharge. But it's like, I just have a hard time believing, like, okay, look, Jesus, like, 
so there's the man. Well, we'll talk about that later. But he okay. So he's doing these healings, right? So Jesus creates the world, right? He creates all these people. Yeah, but he creates the world when he's not in a human body. <clears throat> yeah, but he possesses what? But, a, a, a measure of the he he possesses the spirit without measure, right? Correct. But so he's still a, handicapped by a human body. And any task you do takes energy from your human body. <laughs> but the, I mean, we have the picture in the gospel of him like healing these multitudes of people, right? Just all kinds of people. So, I mean, sure, I, I, he was physically tired at the end of the day, but the idea that this was like somehow sucking his spiritual powers away and he's like exhausted and can't go on, it. Uh, no. That, what about not, what about the time where Jesus was healing for a long period of time, and his mother went and sent his brothers to him <laughs> because he was so exhausted that she feared he was going to die if he didn't need, stop. You need a reference on that. Um, it's in Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. I think I know. I was thinking it was Matthew, but I don't remember. Because that's when he said, "Who, who, who is my mother? Right. Who is my brother?" But see, that's that's the thing, and I'm not saying yay or nay here, but there's a portrayal within this film of what we see with Jesus as he is. It, it's particularly with the man. I know that we'll get to that in a little bit, but it, it's almost like the life is being sucked out of him, and I've never thought of that until I watched this. This. Uh, movie because I've always kind of felt like Luke did that he created all things and nor have I thought about the idea if he felt the power going from him um, with what you said with the woman with the issue of blood that touched him so I'm still trying to wrap my mind around this concept of is that the case of the of what we saw in the video or in the movie with uh, uh, with just the painstaking effort it almost looked like for these miracles to take place. Well, I'm not saying that that was the way at the beginning of the ministry or even towards the end. I just like the picture because it matches what I picture in my mind of the weeks leading up to Jesus's death, where he is like <clears throat> a man on death row. In order Do you get that your... impression from the chapters leading up to the gospels? Or uh, chapters leading up to the crucifixion. I do. You have to be under an immense amount of stress for an extended period of time for the capillaries under your skin to burst in order for you to sweat drops of blood. I mean, that's fair. I guess I never read the, I never read those chapters like that. I think there's a lot of evidence that Jesus was under an immense amount of stress leading up to sweating drops of blood. That's the ultimate proof that he was stressed, at least in the hours before the crucifixion. But when he's riding in Jerusalem, what does he start to do? He starts to weep, right? We have this strong man breaking down because he's frustrated that these people still aren't getting his message, right? He didn't weep when people were not getting his message earlier in his ministry. It was only towards the end. And when do you break down and cry as a, as a man? It's when it becomes too much. I, I think Jesus' humanity truly shines in the last few weeks of his life. And I'm not downplaying Jesus. If anything, this speaks to how amazing the fact that he went through with the cross is, but it was emotional torture for him. It had to have been. Yeah, I don't disagree. I just don't see this, like, sucking of his life away from 
performing miracles. Right. Now, now keep in mind, right? I, I think that they took it too far, but just the fact that they showed anything was kind of cool because it was in line with that verse about the woman touching the hem of his garment. Now, I'm not saying that Jesus was, you know, almost killed anytime people surrounded him. I'm not saying that they did it perfectly, but I am saying that Joaquin played a version of Jesus that I believed knew he was walking. Every step he took was one step closer to the cross. I don't know. It's good. I think it's important to keep in mind the the humanity of Christ, and I think it's never an ever ending task to consider how right how he is like Christ or how he's like humans. And he would have had to have had those same emotions, the exhaustion. I guess I do. I, I mean, I understand the humanity. I don't see him being as distant as he is portrayed in this movie because you have uh, like the upper room discourse where he's very engaged with his apostles and his interest is on is on <clears throat> them, what they're going to be facing the things that they're going to need to know and to deal with in the future, mm-hmm. because he's about to leave them. And then I see him going to the garden and I do see that kind of like that withdrawal. Yeah. Um, and I, I, I don't think that this movie did it perfectly, but for the emotional tone that this piece of art, and that's what it is ultimately is an artist's interpretation. Uh, for this piece of art and what they're trying to get across emotionally and the emotional stage they're setting, I, I, I appreciated it. Keep in mind too, listeners, this is all opinion. All right. When we go through this and we're talking about these things and there's some things like when we bring up scripture, that's fact that can't be changed, but the interpretation of scripture, especially the narratives are open for discussion, which is all this is. So Luke, is right just as much as I am right, just as much as Scott is right in our opinions. Jesus is swarmed by the people and he passes out, and Mary basically becomes instantly infatuated with this man. And the next morning, Mary dresses and leaves quietly, but her sister-in-law notices that Mary left and goes and chases her. But uh, Mary tells her sister-in-law that she's going to go with Jesus, and despite her father and brother protesting, Mary is determined to go with the Messiah. After saying goodbye to her dad, she runs into the Galilee to be baptized by Jesus himself. And this is one of those special times where Jesus baptized people, despite what John 4, 1 through 3 says. (laughs) Also, Mary gets a special three-dunk baptism, so that's nice. (laughs) <laughs> you know, I wonder if Jesus did baptize the apostles, though. Like, he must have baptized somebody. Or Actually, no, I guess they might have been baptized with John. But uh, she does get the special treatment. Yeah, Can I just say, like, the Galilee area, according to this movie, is like the most desolate place on Earth. See, I thought it was the opposite. I always thought, I thought the scenery was beautiful. <laughs> oh, I agree. But it was like, there's like these sweeping landscapes and like, there's not a soul or a house well, to be seen. it's in... <laughs> it's like, it's in Magdala, which is a little fishing village about five miles south of Capernaum, so there wouldn't be a lot of stuff around. Now, at this point, Peter is a little bit leery about having a woman in the group, but Judas stands up for Mary's right to follow the Messiah. I will say this, despite whatever you might think about 
Jesus and his portrayal, and there's Mary Magdalene in there. I loved Judas's character arc because I have not seen it portrayed this way in a movie before. Yeah, I kind of liked it. Yeah. He also gave me things I'd never thought about before. Because from a different perspective. Judas is happy to follow Jesus. He's a full-fledged disciple. He's telling Mary how cool it is to be a follower of Jesus and everything. And normally, Judas is portrayed like if uh, if Vincent Price was still alive, he would be cast as Judas in every single biopic <laughs> of Jesus. Where Peter would be like, hey guys, let's go teach some people. Yes, let's go teach people. And then I can <laughs> stuff my purse full of their shekels. And so it was cool to see uh, sympathetic. I don't know if that's the right word, but. Yeah, yeah. I, that's, I mean, that's an appropriate word. A Judas you can he loved what he was doing. Yeah, a Judas that you don't hate from the very beginning. Did you notice what Judas's most precious moments seemed to be? The fact when that when Peter's he smiled, he looked like a little chipmunk. Well, that, yeah, and there is that. <laughs> there is that. It's when, true. He had, he had protruding buck teeth, yeah. and his mustache and cheeks are just so fat and chubby. He, did. he looked like Alvin. It was kind of adorable. <laughs> when, uh, when, when Peter's little boy used to sit at the Messiah's feet and sing. Well, who didn't? Can I just yeah, say I also appreciate the fact that Peter was black? Yeah, he was. Very much so. And say what you want. This movie got the uh, racial diversity of the area uh, probably a lot better than than most other uh, historical yeah. biblical stories, <laughs> except for the main characters. Hey, it's Joaquin, like it's like Joaquin I like how Phoenix. Jesus Jesus is talking to all these people, right? And they're all like, like they all like they could fit in that area of the world. And then Joaquin and Mary are. Like, that was another thing that Jesus had going against him. Keep in mind. Uh, one of my favorite movies of all time is Gladiator, and he plays the the villain in that. I just watched the other day uh, the new Joker movie, where he <laughs> plays a schizophrenic Joker. And so when he's opening up and he's talking, all I'm seeing for a minute is Commodus and the Joker mashed together with a hipster beard. And I'm like, I don't know. I don't know if I can picture my Lord and Savior being played by this guy. <laughs> I feel like Johnny that's probably Cash. his biggest, like, that's what keeps people from seeing him as Jesus the most. Like, if I had no idea who this guy was and I saw him portray Jesus, I'd be like, okay, you know, it's not my... Maybe not what I thought, but like it's okay. He but plays the bad since guy he's too like, well he just, to play the. He just brings so guy. much baggage to the to the role from all of his other stuff that it's like you just you everyone who has seen any other movies sees somebody else when they are looking at Jesus. Yeah, right. So Mary's now a a full fledged follower of Jesus. She walks behind the apostles for a bit. The only time in the movie that Mary's not front and center, right there at the beginning, where she walks behind. Uh, uh, when they stop, Judas tells her why he is following Jesus. He lost a pregnant wife to a drought, and the Roman taxed all of his stores of grain, and his wife starved to death. He believes that when Jesus establishes the kingdom, that he's going to get his family back. But Judas isn't the only one confused about the coming kingdom. Again, Judas believes that Jesus will say a word, and then boom, Rome is destroyed. Peter believes that they need to strategize like an army to go out and fight the Romans. But Mary, who has the least amount of time with Jesus in explanation, knows right away that the kingdom's not going to be an army. It's not going to just happen with a word. 
and it's not going to be a physical kingdom. Amazing her understanding. She was talking to the Mary Magdalene from The Chosen. Right. Connected. Perfect. Jesus' best followers. That is one thing I think was good to see was the perception from the disciples about what they were thinking was going to happen because we know the last thing they're looking for is an eternal kingdom that is spiritual. And Scott, that was kind of my point at the beginning here where, yeah, you were joking around saying that there was... That you, oh, this movie's terrible, you know what I mean? And you still may think that at the end, but at the same time, there's good things to take away there from is good, it. There is you some can't, good You things. can't toss the baby out with the bathwater. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can at the end, but we still got to talk about some good things. Uh, but after it, that... that was, it was oh, a good portrayal. But after that discussion, Mary goes and runs and finds Jesus, who's sitting on a cliff, uh, instead of just explaining the kingdom to the apostles and settling this whole mess. She just runs away. And then she finds Jesus uh, sitting on a cliff and Jesus asks Mary, when you were younger, <laughs> did you ever think <laughs> if you looked away from something <laughs> that it may just disappear? To which Mary well, just no. straight up plays peekaboo with, with the Lord. Yeah, and Je- peekaboo! And Jesus laughs at it like a two-year-old. Uh, that was problematic for me. <laughs> that whole scene. I have a father I, I, of a toddler. <laughs> it wasn't that long ago that we were playing peekaboo. And just to have Mary Magdalene peekaboo with the Lord. I was like, what? No, come on. It's, yeah. And then Mary uh, doesn't answer Jesus's question, but instead just talks about how she used to float around in Galilee as a kid. Um, She used to love the freedom of floating. Which, by the way, that was who was floating in the beginning of this movie. Yeah, yeah. And that's the only indication you get to what's going on. But, I mean, it was like she was 60 foot deep in the water. Oh, yeah, she was, she was like a free diver. <laughs> diving for pearls. Look at this going, what's going on? Spinning. But what this She's, story has to do with anything? Nothing. I don't know. <laughs> uh, but Jesus, oh, hey, Jesus said, become like a little child. There he was. Boom. Being an example. Is that what it means? Wow. To become like That's a child, it, you have to lose your object permanence? You have to lose your object permanence to become like a child? <laughs> Boy, again, another perception that I did not think of. <laughs> Neither did I until just now. Uh, Jesus can never Jesus... like, find his words. He's always like struggling to find his words, this whole movie. Mary. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> Jesus asks if his followers are fighting. And uh, Mary responds that they're arguing like soldiers, and she doesn't want to be a soldier, but it doesn't matter what she thinks, because she's a woman. Womp, womp. womp and Jesus womp. is like, nope, gotta change that. Gotta change that type of thinking right now. And then uh, the song Girls Just Want to Have Fun comes and plays, <laughs> and Mary and Jesus just go on a montage where they go shopping. They get nice sho- sandals together. A few nice headdresses. Um, Jesus gives her uh, a bit of of topaz that he found in a a little box. When Mary reaches out to grab it, he snaps it shut up real quick, and then she laughs. Uh, Basically, there's a whole pretty woman moment. (laughs) (laughs) I must have dozed off at this point. (laughs) Yeah, I might might have imagined all that. Uh, but they travel to Cana, where they meet a large group of women. And Peter is like, ew, gross, this is the woman's place. 
and Jesus ignores him. And Judas, again, stands up to Peter, saying that Jesus is going to teach these ladies no matter what Peter thinks. And at this point is when I notice that Jesus is walking around with his cloak around him, just hugging himself. And it looked remarkably like my wife walking anywhere in our house during the wintertime. Mm-hmm. Same. Just, yeah, that's Megan. Just wrapped in a blanket. But the uh, the women are confused about why Jesus is teaching them, because... They're women, second-class citizens in the first century. And then Jesus makes a good point saying, yeah, but your spirit's your own, and you alone answer for that. Which, again, good line. it is. Good line. And he goes on to say that God loves their spirit as much as the spirit of any other man or, or person, and that they must follow God's commands above all others and forgive those who do you wrong. Now, the main Cana lady talks about a local woman who was raped and murdered by her husband and his brothers, and how she can't forgive them, even if God can. Jesus asks her, how does it feel to carry that much hatred in your heart? And again, boom! He points out that forgiveness is hard, but not forgiving ultimately hurts more. And finally, the Lord asks the women to join his kingdom. And then Mary just starts baptizing everyone. Just starts Dunk. dunking them all. Triple dunks all around. And I, I wrote this down at the office, and I didn't bring it home with me. But she baptized in, and this is what Jesus said in the movie when he baptized her. I baptize you in the light. I baptize you in the, what, what was the rest of that? I baptized Tired. you in a box. I baptized you with a fox. I baptized you here. <laughs> I baptized, I you, baptized you there. I baptized you with green eggs and ham. I baptized you with I am Sam. Sam I am. So he doesn't remember. <laughs> Light. Fire. Um, baptized with fire and I baptized yeah, with Yeah, baptized you with light. Baptized you with fire. I baptized with sunny days that thought would never end. <clears throat> To awaken, awaken for the, the day. day. Yeah. Well, that's... And to be born again, that was one of them, too. That's a bad paraphrase of John the Baptist's preparing the way for the kingdom. Yeah, well, John didn't make it into the movie, so they had to... You know, John was dead by the time he got there. There was a comment oh, yeah. that John was dead. That's true. When Jesus was healing, they thought John resurrected from the dead, which again places this later in Jesus' ministry. Yeah, so Mary starts baptizing people after Jesus asks them to join the kingdom, which at first I didn't like. And then I had to stop and do a pretty uh, in-depth Bible study. Now, the Bible is clear that leadership roles in teaching and worship are to be done by men. 1 Timothy 2.12, I do not allow women to teach or to exercise authority over a man, but to remain quiet. But when there's silence, the question comes, does Galatians 3 and 28 apply? There is neither Jew nor Greek nor male nor female. Uh, You're all one in Christ. So I had to ask myself if I did not like this scene because it's biblically inaccurate or because it went against personal beliefs and traditions. And after studying it, I have to say it's the latter. I don't have a problem with women dunking women. 
But mm-hmm. uh, no, and I, I and I, my study ultimately led me to an Apologetics Press article by Kyle Butt, who uh, it was titled "Who Can Baptize Another Person." This was the conclusion. From our study, we have looked briefly at the importance of baptism in God's plan of salvation. We have seen that while there are certain vital aspects of baptism that must be maintained, there are other aspects of the process that are incidental and irrelevant. By analyzing several passages, we have seen that the personal qualities of the baptizer do not alter or affect the effectiveness of the baptism. In other words, if you're stuck on a desert island with an atheist and you read the Bible and you want to get baptized and you ask them to dunk you underwater and pull you back up. Does your baptism still count? Of course it does because you are what's important in that baptism. The person dunking you underneath the water pulling you back up is just a tool to get the baptism done. So if Richard uh, Dawkins baptizes you, you can still go to heaven? That is who baptized me. Oh, really? Yeah, it was Richard Dawkins... Uh, or, uh, with a lot of help <laughs> Anthony flew before he wrote his uh, recant Sam Harris the Iron Hitchens. Giant from that cartoon that was a twist I didn't see coming I know he was there though Um. anyways he's not uh, if you're baptized by an inanimate robot these are questions for the future <laughs> if a robot baptizes you the truth of this fact is understood from the biblical passages as well as from the ridiculous nature of the situations which would occur if a person failed or, or if a person faked being a Christian and baptized others. From this conclusion, it has been established, technically speaking, both non-Christians and women can baptize. I cannot tell you one reason why it's scripturally wrong. Neither can I, and that's why I had to conclude what I concluded. It feels uncomfortable. I don't like but, it, but is it tradition or is it biblical, the reason why I don't like it? Yeah. I think it's tradition. Uh, but anyways, on the way out of Cana, Jesus stops to resurrect someone. It's Lazarus, but it doesn't look anything like the biblical narrative. Uh, you can see the It's F- not even close. <laughs> well, in the Bible, Lazarus has been dead a few days, and this one, Lazarus just died. Uh, in just the Bible, Jesus goes... Hey, Lazarus, come on out of there. And this one, Jesus spoons him for a little while and makes some weird noises. Um, what? W- <laughs> I thought the weird noises were going to like culminate in something, and they just they just never did. It was he just sounds like he's doing noises. Morse code. <laughs> it was it was the most bizarre thing I've ever seen. And then after all this is said and done, he calls he gets called Lazarus, and I'm like. What? <laughs> now that's not how that happened. But again, this movie is a less uh, or is a wonderful two hour and nine minutes runtime. <sighs> if they went through the time period that they're covering and hit every single thing, hey, they could have cut out the moaning, the groaning, <laughs> and the spooning. <laughs> And taking that time and put Lazarus in a tomb, and Jesus said, "Roll back the tomb," and he said, "Lazarus, no, come out." That was a terrible walking phoenix. <laughs> Lazarus, <laughs> come out of the tomb. Well, it's, like it's a suggestion. Yeah, they, it's not like they did to save time. <laughs> like he lays on the ground with them for like yeah. two, two, three minutes. It's like just uh, recreate uh, the real scene and be better. All right, you're and right. Then you like, like you're staring at them. They're like switching back between their eyes. It's like 
is he going to cry or is this like a scary movie? Because the the music behind it is like it's building up this like intensity. And then it just like he makes weird noises and nothing happens. Well, I thought the <laughs> weird noises was him crying the first time I saw it. Then the second time I saw it, I realized it wasn't. I don't know what those were. <laughs> it's a weird scene. It's a weird scene. I'll give you that. Um, but following that, Jesus is exhausted again and goes to be by himself for a little while. Uh, he knows his life's almost over. He's facing the, the cross, the terrible fate that awaits him, and Mary comes in and comforts him. As Jesus and his apostles leave Cana for good, Jesus tells Mary to bless people as he teaches them the Lord's Prayer. This scene was just kind of like, man. It was, it was weird. Me. I mean... I, now, th- I mean, I think there is a case to be made that Mary spent a lot of time with Jesus because she's listed in those women who like ministered to Jesus during his Galilean that, ministry. She was the first witness to Jesus's resurrection. Yeah, I mean, you can't really argue that Mary doesn't have like a special place. She had an important role to the, play. But I think mo- I, I think what we have, I think most people make too much of it. Yeah, <laughs> mm-hmm. I guess that's all I'll say. They weren't lovers. Well, I don't think that this movie portrayed that they were. No. In regards to like the feminist stuff, you know, every time I see like a movie that I I know is going to be like a feminist, it's going to have a feminist angle to it. I like I turn it off, bulk at it. But and and there's reason to do that, I think, in our culture a lot of times. But the Bible is in a lot of ways. uh, I don't want to use the term feminist, but like it elevates women like Mary, who's the first witness of the resurrection, to like a higher status than a lot that, of the it, men at that time. And it does a good job at portraying that without without right. blowing up like the gender roles that are later laid down by the gospel, the, the epistles. That's one thing that I can appreciate about this movie is that it showed the hypothetical role of a woman in the early days of the church, even before the church was established on Pentecost, without taking it way too far. Mm-hmm. Which they could have very easily, but I, I honestly think that this portrayal of Mary Magdalene might be more scriptural than the Chosen's portrayal of Mary Magdalene. What? Mary Magdalene That's and the Chosen is my favorite biblical character of all history and time and movie cinema. All right, well, we'll talk more about that as time goes on. But the people are chanting Messiah as Jesus sends his apostles out to preach. The Lord sends Mary with Peter to go out and be his apostles. In Samaria, Mary and Peter come across a village that was destroyed by the Romans, leaving only burnt carcasses and the emaciated behind. Peter wants to leave this town because there's no <laughs> Peter's one. like, leave him. <laughs> Leave up to die. We're out of here. Well, you keep in mind, Peter's trying to rally soldiers in this movie. Yeah. So there ain't no fighters in this group. <laughs> but Mary is an independent apostle who needs no man. That's right. Mary stays and cares for the dying. And that night, Peter praises Mary for her mercy. On the road to Jerusalem, Jesus meets a woman dressed up like a penguin. After she, <laughs> she what? After she touches his Jesus face for a good three minutes, we learn that the penguin lady is Jesus's mother. That night, Mary, the mother of God, gives Mary, the mother of none from Magdala, a warning. 
She needs to prepare to lose Jesus. They finally reach the city of Jerusalem, which, by the way, the first scene of Jerusalem blew my socks off. It was exactly the way I pictured Jerusalem in my mind back then. The Temple Mount and the Wall and Herod's Complex, they did that awesomely. Apparently, I was the only one that was blown away by that. Hey, hey, Luke, Luke liked that. I liked it. It was great. It was exactly as I had always imagined it. At the temple, Jesus is mad that the temple has been turned into a marketplace. And I'm expecting that heads are going to roll here. That we're going to have like an awesome scene of flipping tables and chasing people out. But all we really have is him turning over <laughs> one small basket of money and tearing apart uh, porch railing. <laughs> Not even tearing it apart. He's like incapable. Hey, this whole movie is whispered. <laughs> and it's shot in the dark. My father's temple. Yeah, and Jesus is just like. <laughs> I will say though. I will say he had a little Commodus come out there when all the when the mob came on him there. It's like, there's nothing to be one stone on top of another stone when I'm done with this place. <laughs> Commodus had a demon. He needed dunked a few times. <laughs> you know, it's <laughs> That's I'd see Dunk Dunk takes at fairs. You always thought they were like for like school fundraiser. No, they're trying to exercise demons out of people. <laughs> Throw up one dollar, get you a ball. Throw a ball and try to exercise a demon. Come on up, one and all. I'm telling you right now, if you would advertise it that way, the dunking the dunking booth would make more money than it's ever yeah, made. You see, the, we're exercising demons today. Here's Jesus can't tear up the porch railing. <laughs> it's so bad i was like i was watching him it goes on for 15 seconds trying to tear this thing off it's like well, the oh. thing is i feel like i feel bad for joaquin because i'm sure that some prop guy was like hey I, I told my assistant to cut notches in this thing it's gonna break real easy <laughs> <laughs> and the assistant just completely forgot about it. joaquin go they're giving it his all and he can't break it <laughs> his mom comes in but he's rescued by the apostles but this leaves Judas confused. Keep in mind, he thinks that just the word and the kingdom is going to happen and God's going to turn the world upside down. And so this whole time, Jesus is being accosted by this mob. Jesus is like, just say the word. Just say the word. Jesus goes, the bird is the word. Bird is the word. Bird is the word. Bird, bird, bird. Bird is the word. Hey, Luke, have you heard about the bird? Well, everybody's heard that the bird is the word. Oh, well, a bird. Bird. A bird's the word. Oh, well, a surfing bird. Oh, my mow, mow, papa. Oh, mow, mow, mow. I think you got a sufficient amount of audio on that. <laughs> Where were we? Judas is confused. And so... The next scene, Jesus and Judas are talking, and you could see Jesus' heart breaking as Judas' lack of understanding, and Judas begging Jesus to bring the kingdom because he believes with all his heart that when the kingdom comes, his wife and his daughter or his child's going to come back. And Mary tries and fails to explain to Judas that the kingdom is spiritual, not physical. But uh, Judas ends up leaving, and then 
Mary washes Jesus' feet for some reason, and then Jesus pleads with her not to stop what was about to happen. Mary says she will not leave him. And Jesus says, You are my witness. <laughs> uh, while this is all happening, the other apostles have prepared Passover. Judas is clearly distracted as Jesus and Mary enter the feast and sit next to each other because, eh, why read the Bible? Following the Passover, <laughs> the Lord leads the apostles out of the city to pray. Mary falls asleep and is awoken just in time to see Judas kiss Jesus before the Lord is arrested by the Romans. Mary runs to try to stop a Roman from getting to Jesus, but she is just backhanded with his ring hand and goes down. <laughs> what? Yeah, practice that. I mean, that I was... mean, that fight was two hits. He hitting her and her hitting the floor. It was just boom, boom, done. But Judas wakes Mary up and explains why he betrayed Jesus. He's trying to force the Lord's hand. He's thinking that maybe Jesus is being hesitant for some reason or scared to say the word. Which, again, a lot of movies don't attempt to try to explain the motivation behind Judas's betrayal. And they did. And I, did you buy it? I, I do. I do. No. Not. I don't. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's 11 o'clock. I don't know what I'd buy. I, don't, I buy it. I don't buy I don't know. It was in the movie. I liked it I, when I saw again, it. Again, it was something I never thought about before. Uh, and personally, I don't think it's accurate. I can't back that up because all we know is Judas betrayed him. I, I think that the argument that he was tempted by greed is a stronger argument based on biblical uh, well, yeah. evidences. That being said, yeah, I, I, I do appreciate the fact that this movie is making me think about Jesus, Judas's motives past what I normally just brush him off. Well, he's the villain of the Bible and move on. Yeah, yeah. I'd like to see Judas in this light. I mean, I'd... I feel like I I feel bad for Judas because he gets caught in this you know the situation. It's his fault. I mean, in the end, obviously, but um, like I'd like to see that he had some genuine motive. But since John tells us, you know, he was he was a thief and he had been a thief for a while. We don't know how long that went on. He might have been genuine at some point. Mary knows that Jesus been arrested for a while. He'd already been sentenced, and she runs into the city. She gets there in time to see a beaten and bloody Jesus collapse under the weight of his crossbar. And I can't remember, even in The Passion of the Christ, seeing a scene that made me gasp just absolutely involuntarily than watching Jesus fall with that crossbar, unable to stop himself, and seeing his head crack against the stone pavement underneath. Yeah. There was that one scene, and I just was like, I was like, I, I, I don't, I don't know. It was just, you know, the thing I thought about too is Mary gets whacked, and then she's like <laughs> unconscious for this period of time. <laughs> so yeah, here's I what I was it, thinking I the other day: Mary gets whacked. Zach. Yeah, she gets whacked. she gets whacked. <laughs> <laughs> Mary gets whacked. whacked and she gets uh, fit with a pair of cement shoes. We don't know where Mary is anymore. But you think of this period of time from when she got whacked to when she next saw Jesus. You think of all the stuff that happened there. And, and it was just, again, something for me to think about was look at everything she missed. 
to where she was there ready to protect him to, holy cow, as you said, he's just falling with the, uh, with the crossbar on his shoulders down and cracked his head off the con- or off the off the block. When it really makes you think, when the apostles scattered in the garden to the point where only uh, Peter and um, John, right? John, yeah. Peter John. and John were the only two apostles left to see Jesus's trial, and even after that, Peter flees. Yeah. Uh, think of, and it, it happened in the space of just a few hours. I mean, you're going to go to bed in a little bit and wake up, and in that time, Jesus was tried, scourged, condemned, nailed to a cross, and yeah, yeah. This movie is from Mary's viewpoint, so mm-hmm. they don't need to go into, you know, the scourging mm-hmm. and and all that other stuff. It's Mary's story of her time beside Jesus. Once she sees Jesus collapsing on the weight of his crossbar, she's in a daze. And she curls up on the side of the road and starts to sob. And ultimately, she collapses on her back as the final nails are driven into Jesus' feet. The crucifixion in this movie, besides not having a placard above Jesus' head, was nearly 100% historically accurate from everything that I've studied. Jesus did not carry the whole cross. He only carried the crossbar. The nails were driven through his wrist between the the two main bones there. Both his feet weren't overlapped, but were instead nailed to separate sides of the cross. They did the crucifixion scene perfectly, even to the point where later after Jesus is taken down, you can see the permanent standing vertical pillars in the background, which the Romans would have left for the next crucifixion. They did this scene beautifully. They did a good job. Before Jesus dies, Mary does keep her promise that she's not going to leave him, and she arrives at the foot of the cross. Jesus' body is taken off the cross and given to his mother, who hugs and kisses her son's body. Judas is distraught, not knowing why the Lord didn't say the word and start his kingdom. Like this scene between Mary and Judas for some reason where Judas or Mary takes Judas's hand and asks the betrayer where he's going. To which Judas responds to my family. You know, there's not that immediate animosity between... I don't know. I just like seeing the softer side of Judas. Yeah. And Because uh, we never think of it. Right. I mean, we the association, it's with... Him with the name. I mean, Judas Iscariot. We know what that stands for. They they show Christian forgiveness here, but she's holding the hand of Jesus's betrayer in that moment. Jesus is buried in the tomb, and Mary spends a unspecified amount of time putting little pebbles around the stone for some reason. So, so he can't break out. Right. There's no Romans guarding it. It's just Mary. (laughs) (laughs) They hadn't gotten there yet. She mourns outside the tomb for a while. We're shown like this slow moving zoom of Judas's body dangling from a window because, you know, why put him in a tree? You got a perfectly good window right there. Uh, Yeah. Did did I miss something in the Bible? No, it was a field. The potter's field. Field. Yeah. Which they bought for 60 pieces of silver to bury the poor. 
That's where we get the term Potter's Field from. Like Mr. Potter? Da, 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 da. Potter's Field. Isn't that the name of... Uh... Mr. Potter's yep. Slums and It's a Wonderful Life. Wow. That's why when the guy came in there, that's why when the the lawyer came in there, he's like, your potter's field is turning into a potter's field. Because that's what they used to call graveyards, people that were too poor to buy graves. That's where they put them, potter's field. Mm. Um, After we see Judas's body dangling from a window, we snap back to Mary, who is awoken when the Lord says, Mary... And she walks to the Lord sitting a little ways away from her and uh, runs to tell the other apostles. You know what happens? She said, hey, I saw Jesus uh, resurrect. And then Peter and John just take off running towards the tomb. They're so excited. No, wait, that's not what happens. That's what happens in the Bible. What happens here is Peter becomes a big old misogynistic (laughs) jerk. She's like, hey, the Lord's returned. And then Peter basically was like, hey, why don't you get out of here? Peter's just mean to her for some reason. And Mary goes, well, I'm going to go out and spread the word, even without your help, Peter. And the movie ends with Jesus giving Mary the parable of the mustard seed. Fade to black as the following script appears. According to the Christian Gospels, Mary of Magdala was present at both Jesus' death and burial and is identified as the first witness of the resurrected Jesus, which makes sense we made an entire two-hour movie about her, seeing as we had a whole four verses to work with. (laughs) In 591, Pope Gregory claimed that Mary of Magdala was a prostitute, a misconception which remains to this day. I didn't know that. I learned something. And in 2016, Mary Magdala was formally identified by the Vatican as Apostle of the Apostles. They're equal in the first messenger of the resurrected Jesus. So, you know, a made-up group of people called the Vatican made something up about Mary for us to all go, (laughs) okay, thanks. All right, let's go into our rating. Before we give our rating, we need to talk about something. Our 1 to 10 scale served its purpose, but has shown bias, and well, frankly, we've outgrown it. Today, we're unveiling our new scale, which is made up of four categories, each worth 25 points. These categories are scriptural accuracy, entertainment value, was the movie enjoyable to watch? Could you sit through it? parental control, and finally, should you watch it? Did you get something valuable from this movie? Or was it just a waste of two hours? The should you watch it comes back on whether or not I should have watched it or I'm recommending for someone else to watch it. Yes, that's where your recommendation comes. And the reason why those two are different is I'm thinking of movies like... Like, we did a Christmas story a few weeks ago, and there was a lot of points knocked off because of the swearing. Because it was bad. Okay, and that's fine. That's where you would put it. However, Luke, I know you weren't entertained by it, but Scott and I were. It shouldn't (laughs) affect whether or not you enjoyed watching the film. Do you get what I mean by that? Because something can be entertaining while we shouldn't recommend it. Once we do that, we will add up those four totals. That will be your score out of 100, 
We'll then average those three scores together for our final letter grade. <sighs> Sounds complicated. It is at first, but you'll understand it. Real quick, I do want to let you know that our new rating spells out a Greek word called seps. So from now on, we'll be ranking our films on the Rotten or Righteous official seps scale patent pending. What does seps mean? Well, seps is the root word of septic <laughs> or sepsis. Like That's what I was thinking. It, it literally <laughs> is uh, a type of snake that was known for its distinctive and offensive odor. So really, it is the Rotten or Righteous's official stinky snake scale. Let's start out. Uh, we're going to take this um, category by category really quick. Which means, uh, first one is scriptural accuracy. I'll go first for this one. I'm going to give it... I'm going to give it a 14. For scriptural accuracy. Yes, there were problems with it. Particularly Lazarus. Judas was hung in a window, not in a field. But I don't think that... They portrayed things that are detrimental to understanding the gospel. Um, I don't think they changed the gospel so much that uh, it's unrecognizable. They didn't do a great job, obviously. That's why I gave it, I docked off 11 points. But I think there was enough scripture there uh, that you could still get something from it. How about you, Scott? I gave it a 10, uh, many of the same reasons. There was a lot of things that were inaccurate. Um, I'll be honest with you, before we did this podcast, my score was lower. Zach, you gave me a lot of things to think about with uh, just some perspective kind of things. Uh, so I came up a little bit with it. I think it, was a, it, it gave me a lot to think about, but the scriptural issues like with Lazarus, uh, Lazarus for one, that is just, that is just glaring. That really, when they called him, they'd have been better if they hadn't used the term Lazarus at the end of that scene, never would have known. I'll be honest with you. It probably would have been better. Until my second watch through. Yeah. They called him Lazarus. And I'm like, no, no, no. <laughs> so I, I gave, I gave the scriptural accuracy a 10. There's, there's some, there's some issues. How about you, Luke? I guess I was a little bit more critical of it. Because, yes, there were some things I really liked, but I guess my, what rubs me the wrong way is when people make a movie about the Bible and then they don't respect the Bible and they change stuff. It, it, like some of the things they change, like Judas hanging there, Lazarus and the events, like those are those are consistent stories. There's, there's not discrepancies across the Gospels, right? And they just change them like just because, like, mm-hmm. well, we'll just we'll just change this scene. And I guess with all the, the religious confusion in the world and all the confusion that there's about the Bible and considering that there's going to be a lot of people that may go watch this that aren't that familiar with the Bible, it's like I just – I feel like doing that just is is harmful to the – like if you have enough respect about the Bible to make a movie about it or you're that interested in it, like at least respect it when it comes to the details that you're pretending to portray. And so I gave it a five and, and I will – I I will say there were some things like the crucifixion that were done really well, but like just the fact that they changed it for like no reason, that always kind of bugs me. 
All right, fair enough. Um, entertainment value. Did you enjoy watching it? Uh, this one, I surprised myself. I never would have thought in a million years when I saw the trailer last week that I would have enjoyed this movie as much as I did. Um, I watched it twice. I didn't need to. I just liked it that much, and uh, I gave it a twenty. Scott, I gave it a fifth. I gave it a fifteen. Um, I. <sighs> I, I'm glad I watched it. I watched it twice myself just to make sure, see what I was, see what I missed the first time, see what I picked up. Uh, wasn't engrossed with it, uh, but it was it was okay. I'll uh, I'll sit right in the middle, probably like a seventeen. I uh, liked it more than I thought, and I thought the I thought it was beautifully shot, mm-hmm. like we were talking about earlier. You got all these like wide sweeping landscapes, and then it it uh, I think it does a good job at communicating just like the like the scale of the work that's going on in Jesus's ministry. You know, there's all these tiny little people across these wide sweeping landscapes. And uh, I thought, you know, the colors in it were, it was kind of like a low contrast. Um, It was all, it was all dark, which, well, most of it was dark. Uh, There weren't a whole lot of bright scenes, but uh, I thought it was beautifully done. And uh, I appreciated it just for the cinematic quality. Parental control, is there any thing that would stop you from showing this to your kids, basically? You know, swearing, whatever. This movie's rated R. And is it because of the violence in the end of it? I mean, with Jesus, the MPAA says, but there is, there was more violence in a Christmas story than there was in this movie. I have no idea why it's rated R. Uh, I think that if you're 13, you're going to be fine with this movie. I, I gave this a 20. There, there's really no... <coughs> I mean, I took five points off for the little bit of blood, but even then, it, it really wasn't that bad. I also gave it a 20. It was my exact score. And the thing, the thing is, too, with, with the end of it, you had to, you had to know that was coming. I mean, if you've studied the Bible, you know that Mary Magdalene was there at the cross when Jesus died. So you had to know that that would be a part of it. I gave it a 20. I I don't have a problem with the violence as far as like the historical accuracy of the crucifixion. It's kind of a shame if they leave it out. And finally, should you watch? I, I think this category is more towards the movie's merit. When you got to the end of the film, did you feel like you wasted two precious hours that God has gifted you? Um, to that, uh, again, I gave it a, I gave it a nineteen, and I'll tell you why. And uh, well, of course, I'm going to tell you why. That's what we're here for. Um, I, I gave it a nineteen because it caused me to think about things differently. It caused me to study women's role in baptism and blessings and seeing women's roles back then in a different light than maybe I did before I watched this movie. It caused me to look at Judas's relationship with the other apostles and how he would have acted before his betrayal uh, a little bit differently. It opened my eyes a little bit to, yes, I'm sure it was overdramatic, but the humanity that Jesus would have showed as the cross got closer and closer. And I think all of these are good talking points that you can bring up and have a good deep discussion, which we've been doing for the past two hours. 
uh, thanks to this movie. So I, I ended up with a, a 19, which put my total at a 73. 73. Yeah. I'm struggling with this category as we speak. You want to go to Luke? Be- uh, yeah, I'll yeah. Let's go to Luke. I'll still be struggling with it when we get back to me. <laughs> go ahead, I Luke. A, I gave it a twelve point five. Uh, you know, I like some He's of the throwing fractions at me. I gave you a hundred <laughs> points to work with, and you're throwing fractions at me. <laughs> well, if I'm gonna make it in the middle of twenty five, <laughs> fine. I'll give it a thirteen. The cursed number. I um, just added it up. So yeah, I like. I mean, I thought there was some entertainment value to it. I I agree. There were some th- scenes that I were discussion worthy. Um, like with Judas's case, I didn't feel like there's there's a strong case in the in the Gospels to uh, to show Judas that way. Like, as, in my view, there's not enough uh, space to portray him in that that light like he's a good discussion point but there's not really a case to be made for it in my opinion from what we know about him and uh so so there were some things that i think were good discussion points but like how much merit they had were questionable and so but i also enjoyed kind of just thinking about judas in that light like that's an interesting way to portray him, or that's an interesting way to portray Peter. Or, you know, I like the fact that they're having discussions about uh, like strategizing, like which was how are we going to raise enough people to start this rebellion? And there's there's arguments between the apostles, and like that probably happened. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, they were arguing about who was going to be the, the greatest in the kingdom, and they got mad at James and John about it, and. You know, so there's kind of that made me think, and I thought those were good. And anytime that you have to fill in the space where the Bible is silent, typically when a movie has to do that and they have to, um, well, they fill it in with something, and that something makes you think about, well, was that actually there or wasn't it there? So, um, yeah, I, there's some things I like, some things I didn't like, and, and I got done with the movie and I was like, uh, you know. Okay. Don't hate it. Don't love it. 13. All right, Scott. For me, if I, I've greatly enjoyed this podcast tonight, and to me, if I knew that three mature Christians were going to sit down and watch this movie, I'd say 25. Absolutely. The thought that's been generated out of this, the perception, the ideas, considering all the things that were in that movie, I think it's fantastic to watch if there are mature Christians sitting down to watching it. My fear is the immature Christians, what are they going to take away from that? Maybe not even Christians, those that aren't Christians, what will they see in this? A lot of things are going to get a wrong picture about as far as, particularly in my mind, the scriptural accuracy. Um, but I gave it I gave it a 12. I gave it a 12 um, because I think it, I think it has an audience. Uh, and I, I, I know that it has an audience. I'm concerned about an audience that maybe shouldn't see it without some maturity or someone that is mature to guide them through some of the problematic areas, uh, within, within the movie. So, um, I can tell you, Zach, that the total ranking is a 61.66, 62. All right. Well, as, uh, you don't know, but you will now know. Here at Rotten or Righteous, we use a grading scale that is used by Carleton University from Ottawa, Ontario. Go Ravens. 
And uh, individually, I gave this movie a score of a B. Scott gave it a D plus, and Luke came in at a solid D. But we averaged those together, which gives us a 62, which puts this film at a fair C minus, which I think is about right. So my convoluted scale works is what I got from that. Next week, we are really bringing in the new year wrong. Ringing in the new year wrong by watching the 1999 Amit... By watching the 1999 movie, The Omega Code. Here is the storyline of this film. By the way, it's on YouTube. 100% free this week. Uh, The Omega Code is a 1999 apocalyptic thriller film directed by Rob Marcerelli, written by Stephen Blinn and Hollis Barton, and starring Casper Van Dien, Michael York, Catherine Oxenberg, and Michael Ironside. The premillennialist plot revolves around a plan by the anarchist to take over the world using information hidden in the titular Bible code. On the eve of the new millennium. Somebody out there say change. change. That's right. The truth about the ancient prophecies is about to be revealed. You and I, we have a higher calling. The warnings that can't be ignored. Early tests are confirming that the ocean's molecular structure has somehow mutated. The answers the world has been waiting for. I need you to be my spokesman for this new world. My prophet. And the power that will set us free. There is a war going on between angels of light and dark. Or destroy all mankind. We are recanting our support and declaring you a heretic. Who will hold the power in the new millennium? I want a quick strategic nuclear strike. Prepare yourself for the revelations. of the code. I was Judas, portraying Christ to be crucified. I was Hitler, leading millions to the slaughter. I died so that you might live. Casper Van Dien. Michael York. Michael Ironside. And Catherine Oxenberg. The Omega Code. Alright, so there you have that hot piece of garbage to look forward to next week. (laughs) (laughs) But we'll take it. Hot piece of smoking garbage. Oh boy. Alright, that's it. I'm done. It's it's 11 o'clock. It's past midnight where Scott's at. Luke is late for his manicure. Um, Yep. (laughs) Until next time, for Rotten or Righteous, I'm Zach Geiler. I'm Luke Taylor. And I'm Mary Magdalene. Thank you for <laughs> listening to Riding a Righteous After Dark, baby. Real quick before we go, hey Luke, um, do you know how you think the un- <laughs> Do you know 
I mean, I got a question for you, Luke. Sorry. Hey, Luke. <laughs> Are you sure? <laughs> yes. Hey, hey, Luke. I got this. Whew. Yes. Luke. Yes. How do you think the unthinkable? You think about not thinking. Nope. With an iceberg. <laughs> Good night, everybody. <laughs> God bless you. Work on your speech. You know what? I can make that joke. I used to have a lisp. An iceberg thunk the unthinkable thip. <laughs> and be as possible. In Samaria, Mary and Peter come across a village that was destroyed by the Romans, leaving only burnt carcasses and the emaciated behind. <laughs> what? <laughs> 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 Emaciation and death. <laughs> what, what is funny about that? I, because you said, you said the emaciated behind. <laughs> <laughs> My word. <laughs> uh, I was just laughing because they were dying people. What is it? Three in the morning? Um. <laughs> Thank you.